It's Open Threads. It's my podcast. I'm Brian Castle. Welcome. Today I'm talking to my friend Jane Portman. She is the founder of UserList. That's an email automation tool aimed at SaaS companies, especially SaaS that serve other companies. And we talked a bit about designing the product with a fundamental difference in architecture that could actually give you a competitive advantage against much larger competitors. That might sound a little technical. We'll, we'll get into that. Hey, here's my real-time-ish update for you, and I'm recording this one on May 6th, 2024. First, I just want to say that once and for all, the name of this podcast, I'm sticking with the name Open Threads. <laughs> you may have noticed I had briefly renamed it there uh, in early 2024. I was using the name Full Stack Founder. Well, long story short, I'm sunsetting that brand name and that website. It was a short-lived project that just didn't quite stick. So this podcast is back to its original name, Open Threads, from here on out. Okay, so uh, my... So as for my update, uh, you know, my main focus now continues to be instrumental products. That is my product studio where I partner with clients, mainly on UI and UX work. And uh, I specialize in designing modern interfaces for SaaS companies. And I deliver my designs in the form of coded HTML and Tailwind CSS templates and components. So that's the, uh, the main um, service that I've been working with a couple of clients lately on, and uh, it's something that I continue to uh, to really double down on the rest of this year. Other than that, I'm spending the rest of my time building out some new software products of my own to uh, to add to my small portfolio. My main SaaS product, Clarity Flow, continues to run smoothly uh, with my small team, and we're always working on some imp improvements there. So that's my update for now. On to the show. You know, really, I think this conversation was just about the long, slow SaaS ramp that we all might know so well. And, you know, all the learnings that come along with that from the uh, pre-launch phase and how that could sort of drag out and into getting first customers traction, pivoting the product, understanding which features are most important, and just keeping your mental state sound as you go through that. And as Jane talked about, it's a lot easier with co-founders. But yeah, we covered a lot of ground and really uh, touched on different points in their journey. It's been over five years since Jane and her co-founder, Benedict, have started UserList. Luckily, I've had a front row seat to most of that. I've, I've known Jane for a long time, starting from when she was a, a well-known freelance designer in this industry. But in the last couple of years, Jane and I are in a mastermind group together uh, with a couple of other friends. And we, uh, we talk you know, behind the scenes uh, and give each other advice on our businesses. So we know that stuff really well. But it was kind of fun today to talk uh, more publicly about what it's like to run a SaaS product like UserList. Let's talk to Jane. Here we go. Jane Portman, great to connect with you as always. Welcome to Open Threads. Oh, lovely to be here. Thank you, Brian. Yeah, so you and I actually talk quite often. We're in a mastermind group together, so... That's been really cool. Has that been like over a year now in that group? I think we're approaching maybe two years. Really? I'm that not long? sure, oh, but okay. it's been definitely a while. Yeah. Wow. But I've known you much longer than that. I think I first met you when you were a freelance designer 
and one of the early folks doing like productized consulting and everything. But yeah, these days, of course, you're working on user lists. It's been been quite a journey. <laughs> we met in person in Las Vegas at MicroConf in 2014, I believe. I remember meeting you in Barcelona, MicroConf. You were in Vegas too? I don't remember that one. They, they yep. all sort of like yep. blend together now. <laughs> I just remember it was my first one actually going out there and seeing physical people, meeting people. And I recall meeting you, Brennan Dunn, Samuel Hulick, a few other folks. It was pretty magnificent. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Very cool. Well, what I would like to talk to you today about, obviously, like we know each other's businesses uh, pretty well because we're in the mastermind. But I think what would be really interesting to folks is the sheer number of years to make progress, like moving from being a freelance designer into working on a SaaS product. I know you've had a few different products in there over the years between books and another SaaS. But with UserList, you guys have really hit your stride here. And I'm seeing it much more in the wild now with other people, or I just happen to notice a user list product is implemented. So I think you were just telling me like offline here, like how many years has it been since you actually started user list with Benedict? We started in the fall of 2017. Can you believe it's approaching five years? It's, it's incredible. Yes. Yeah. In that time, I guess thinking back to like the first year, when did you feel like this product had legs. I don't mean like your very first customers, but like getting to the point where it's like, oh, this could turn out into a multi-year business. This was a second SaaS venture of mine. And Benedict was my developer for hire in that first one for people who are not familiar with the story. So we had a chance to work together. And I made so many mistakes in this first one that with UserList, it was obvious that we're building something useful. It was obvious that it's going to be a complex product, so it's a journey. Albeit we did have a very optimistic schedule when we got together. So it was like October, I think. It was me, Benedict, and Claire on board back then, the three of us. And we were like, oh, we're going to get the MVP out and we're going to get to like 5K MRR in six months. And we're just going to validate. And after that, we can incorporate and stuff like that. But would you believe that it took us two years to get to public launch? Maybe a year and a half. Oh, really? Like even just your very first customers, it took two years to get there? Yeah, we did do pre-orders and we did have a very long period of private beta with a handful of customers. But it was not maybe a year at least to get to the working beta. It was definitely a more complex product. And up to date, I'm still amazed why we haven't gotten to this because... It's immense. This aspect of behavior-based email that we tackled, it's incredibly technologically complex. Like you've got to process, uh, you've got to store customer data. You've got to process it. I'm honestly admiring how Benedict can sleep <laughs> knowing that this thing is running. Like he's definitely doing a great job. If you weren't such an experienced consultant and engineer, I don't know where we would have been by now. It's definitely... Uh, all accolades should go to him in that regard. For sure. I mean, I don't want to get into everything about what the product is, of course, but just to give listeners a brief sense. So my understanding of it is that I think of it as an email marketing tool aimed at SaaS, but it seems like it was born out of like the user's lifetime with a SaaS product, starting from onboarding into their using the product and growing in the product. And then this user list is kind of all about the messaging 
like the logic that goes into sending the right messages at the right time. How is that description? Yeah, love that. We call it an email marketing or an email automation platform uh, for SaaS companies. And uh, we have, like you described before, been very stubborn about only focusing on the lifecycle part of it. So everything after sign up, not mixing in marketing email, but we did give up eventually. So <laughs> I want to get fall, into we... that. Yeah. The, so <laughs> like the did. shift into like also offering the email messaging before sign up, kind of like email marketing to SaaS, which makes a ton of sense to me. But I, I'm curious, like still going back to that first two years, you said it took a while to get to those first ready to use first users. What did it look like then? Like when you thought about the MVP, what was like the core product that you felt like needed to be shipped in order to actually start to onboard first users? We had everything we have today just in a very minimal way. We had a very minimal message editor. We had user profiles as per design. It was accepting data. It was processing data. Maybe not all trigger types that those were grown organically, but it's such in this industry, you can't really go out with a half-baked MVP. People are going to be sending emails to their customers on our behalf. It's got to be polished in some way. So it was small, but it was definitely well-shaped, like rather polished, rather nice looking and rather reliable. For example, one of our early customers was Urban Gamers with his Doc Sketch, which is now Signwell product. So he was always the first one to break things with his massive email list. <laughs> but really, I hope we didn't give too much headache to him in this, even in the early days. Yeah, and it's in that space where you're selling to technical SaaS founders, even if they themselves aren't technical, like the product and the business that they're in is technical. And so there's all these like table stakes of features that for it to even be considered, like it can't just be like a MailChimp alternative. It's got its higher level of sophistication with these type of customers. We had some foundations done really well, thanks to Benedict. For example, we process customer data in form of properties, custom fields, and also events. And our events are implemented very nicely. They can have properties of their own. And this is sounds like just some data problem, but it is really an important thing for some of the people who want properties in their events and other things, which are completely technical and boring, but we're done right. And also a couple years in, Benedict added company accounts, which is right now our unique selling proposition, which no other tool does well. This is really interesting. Yeah. That's another piece. What I think is really interesting about this is like you and Benedict took userless into a very competitive market with like email marketing, SaaS. And I mean, I'm thinking about like what I'm doing with zip message in a space like where like Loom is. And so like, I think from a designing the product standpoint and the fundamental data model of how the product is built, that's where folks like us can have an advantage from the early days when you're going into these big markets, right? Like you guys have the advantage of designing the core of your product around like storing properties and the ability to recognize people within a company within the product. Whereas these larger companies like the MailChimps who are trying to get more automation focused or whatever it is like Drip and Active Campaign and all these other things, like for them to add on that ability now it's so much more difficult or slow or even impossible for them, right? I think like with Loom and, and ZipMessage, like we're fundamentally designed around asynchronous threads on a single page that can be shared, whereas a product like Loom is one video, one URL. 
it's a different architecture of how the product works. And that's actually why, and in your case, like people come to userless because they're company focused in how they think about their users. What's worth mentioning is that as founders, we understand the architectural difference. What matters for people is the brand and the word of mouth. Nobody honestly understands what's inside until they have had a chance to deeply explore the product, which in good could be a demo, but ideally like actually using it for one of their projects. That's the only way to really closely know it and understand the benefits. So they know they have been burned. They had bad experience with some other generic enterprise tool. Let's say it was too complex, but they know what's inside. But now they need to overcome that chasm and adopt an unfamiliar tool to learn like what's inside that. And that chasm is bigger than we had expected. Like building the brand and awareness in the space, it's tough. That's why it's taken us so long to grow slowly and steadily versus what we hope. Like we hope that it's going to be a quick win because it's an accomplished market. Every SaaS is potentially our client. Of course, they're going to love us, but well, they don't know what's inside. It doesn't know it's going to make their life easier and make their process of sending emails more enjoyable or pleasant. Another strong side of ours, it's kind of intangible, but it's really lightweight to use compared to any enterprise tool. But you won't know that until you try. <laughs> and to try, you need to trust. And to trust, you need to market. And to market, you need years. <laughs> so it's a very <laughs> long chain. <laughs> That's a really good way of putting it. We keep coming back to this theme of like, it just takes so long to get traction and then to get to a sustainable business. I mean, what were you guys thinking about, talking about in like that two-year stress just to get to first customers, but then even after that to get up to like 5K? I know you're well beyond that now, but how did you like mentally handle it, right? Like <laughs> so many of us are in this long SaaS ramp of death, right? How do you handle like, is this taking too long? Are we working on the right product in the right market? Like, how did you get through those barriers? Well, having a co-founder definitely helps. And we were positive that the market exists. People definitely need automation tools. SaaS definitely need good automation tools. So we never had doubts whether the product is useful. That's helping because if you're inventing a new niche or something, if you're trying to educate and build awareness, that's a double challenge. In our case, we knew this is a needed product and we had a customer base of uh, raving folks who really liked it. That was encouraging. And overall, we've got them on board. We've got these businesses with their data and everything onboarded and using it. It's definitely not our strategy to just like dabble and quit after a couple of years. We're in to help them long-term. And then the same way the customers we're onboarding now going to be with us with many years. I know Customio, which is our very close and respected competitor, they published once a revenue chart showing cohort revenue from very old customers. And this chart is magnificent. It shows that good customers stay with you for many, many years if you're serving them right. Especially when you have like such a essential, like sticky product that can be like the core of, of their business. So I guess all these factors combined, they just Sure, we were maybe not so excited about the pace of growth at some point and was slow, but it was never an option to quit, really. Like, we never seriously considered it. It was obvious that going forward is more important for everybody. And also, eventually, it's got to work. And there were signs of it working. So it was not like we were flatlined for four years in a row. It was progress, just 
sometimes this progress was more in the mental slash brand awareness space versus numbers. So we could obviously tell that the brand awareness was working. And like we went to MicroConf in uh, Croatia before COVID the last time. And everybody knew UserList before they knew us. And we were like, that's amazing. We made it. <laughs> yeah. What were the first big wins or turning points in the brand awareness or just marketing or maybe like acquiring customers? I know like in the very beginning, it's sort of about like UserList is a brand new thing. That's why it's interesting for you to come check it out. But then once you get past the initial, hey, UserList is new. How did you start to acquire customers? What were like some of the key things that you started to like figure out? Just gradually building the customer base. There was no like break point. We did have a public launch on Product Hunt in August of 2019, I believe. So two years after we started. And it was an amazing launch. I felt like we leveraged all our possible social capital and the waiting list and everything. So it made number one of the day. It was great. But by that time, we had already known that it will not bring us like 60 new trials for sure. The fact that we're there uh, doesn't mean that people will sign up. And that remains a reality. Our sales cycle is extremely long and convoluted. Like we're there in people's minds, but it might be another year until it's some specific time in their business when they're ready to switch tools. Did you start to do anything differently in like sales or like how you talk to new leads? and that sort of stuff? We have become more deliberate about managing our sales pipeline. And we've recently brought a dedicated customer success person, Michael, who is amazing. So he's taking closer a look at the sales pipeline, following up more consistently and everything like that. But we've never been a sales-led organization to this point and might change, but it's not in our DNA, at least. Like, if we do that, it's going to be big transformation. <laughs> so far, it's been inbound. <laughs> I agree. I've never quite understood how... I know that, that companies are very successful with this, but, like, I've always operated sort of in the same way where it's, like, you have to get it to a point where there's inbound interest and then optimize every step from there. And they need to reach some point in their business where it's, like, this is a priority this month and we're in the market. We just got into probably like a leads sales pipeline for one of the payment platforms out there. I'm not going to name the name, but essentially somebody's initiated a semi-personal conversation, like genuinely exploring our profiles and striking an informal conversation. But then they like sent us three very detailed sales emails about like what exactly we should be doing and how and why we're wrong. And I'm pretty sure... They have great results, but ultimately, is it what we want for our company DNA to be perceived like that? I don't know, because definitely it is working, like sales work, except that maybe there is some strange aftertaste for those who don't buy, but then, well, they don't bring you money anyways, does it matter? For example, ConvertKit by Nathan Berry is a wonderful like role model for us because they do a similar thing. They do an email platform for a niche, just for bloggers. They have probably their own aspects of <laughs> and their own problems. But Nathan was extremely sales oriented in the first years. Like he would double down on people he knew and it would like really go into adoption. And unfortunately, neither me nor Benedict are like that. <laughs> Maybe if we were, we would have been <laughs> farther along in our journey. Another thing is doing the you don't enjoy for five years. 
well, that will make you miserable for sure. So another secret to success is to just do things that align with who you are and with your ethical standards. I'm not saying sales is ethical, but align with your nature, what feels right. And later you can improve by hiring people who complement your skills, not expand your skills. Yeah, I mean, I think it really does speak to the sophistication of the type of customer that a user list is for. They need to be sophisticated enough to know like, okay, this is a priority for us right now. It's not going to be some outbound salesperson that's going to convince me that it's a priority for my business right now to move to a user list, right? It's a blurry line. There probably are people out there who can be convinced. And in fact, that's how sales work, except that, well, it's not in our plans to hire a gang of salespeople who can do that. Yeah. To me, like the more important challenge there is onboarding and activating the people who are actively in the market and they came across user list. And then like, are you guys doing anything on that front to, or have you learned over the last couple of years, like changes that you've made in your onboarding workflows, customer experience, anything like that to help them get value and stick with the product longer? We've done a great job neglecting our in-app onboarding experience for a while. (laughs) Like we've always had a very solid email sequence that supports everything. We dog food, we we run it in UserList for UserList. In the in-app side, we are just rolling out an improved onboarding signup flow. And we are taking the sort of a questionnaire approach. And I borrowed, like we totally borrowed this from uh, Sansama's founder, Ashutosh Priyadarshi. We had him for one of the better done than perfect podcast episodes. Basically, the questionnaire, it helps the user self-qualify and get in the right mood. So in addition to technical things we need to start an account, like email and company name, we also sprinkle in strategic questions like, do you have your copy ready? Like, what are you planning to achieve with this tool and other things? And this is in development at the moment. We're planning to roll it out maybe next month. So that's going to be a great improvement. I think. But yeah, we haven't been really focusing on that for ourselves. And unfortunately, there are so many external factors. You shouldn't be so self-centered to think that you can influence it like by 50% with just something you can change. It's mostly serendipity. It's mostly serendipity and other things. Yeah. And I still believe it's like there has to be a natural drive from the customer that they really want to solve this problem. So they are incentivized to get it working. That trumps everything. That trumps everything. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. It's funny to hear you say like you guys focus much more on your email onboarding experience and not so much the in-app. I feel like I've been like the opposite. (laughs) I keep like redesigning and reworking the in-app experience. And then every time I go back and look at my onboarding emails for customers, it's like, oh my God, there's like so much inaccurate information in these emails that I didn't change like eight (laughs) months ago. It's like a to-do that I have to do right now. But it's like, it's one of those things where I feel like if I'm not seeing it every day, that I'll just like forget that my customers are seeing these like random emails that make no sense. (laughs) Do you know over these years how many times I have received that one of the best practices you can do is to sign up for your own product every month? Yeah. Do you think we do that? Of course we (laughs) don't. It's like exercising every morning. It's like exercising every morning. (laughs) I know. Well, that's why I do focus a lot more on the in-app experience because I do go through that flow like almost every day. when I'm working on the product, like even just like creating like test accounts to test something out in the product, like I see it. 
it's a very big emotional thing. For example, imagine your kitchen is dirty and you never washed it in five years and now you need to go cook something. Well, of course, you'll be resistant. In the same way, imagine you have an onboarding sequence that you haven't reviewed in three years and you feel it's dusty and you just don't want to know. But if you take it into shape, if you enjoy the process and you know it's okay, then let's say we just added a new help article on how to migrate email providers. And oh, another step to promote it, it would be to add this link to our onboarding sequence so new users can make use of the article. Takes one minute, literally. If you had your onboarding out of shape or in the wrong tool, that would be you would procrastinate for ages to do that. But it's really just a simple step. So like mental effort versus physical effort is really incomparable. Yeah, for sure. Hey, real quick. This podcast is sponsored by Instrumental Products. That's my product studio where I and my small crew, we take new product ideas from concept to launched. I'm a full stack product designer and developer and I love collaborating with fellow founders, creators, and SaaS companies to bring that spark of energy into new product ideas. Think of instrumental products as your shortcut to shipping that next idea and getting it into the hands of your customers as efficiently as possible. Got something to ship? Let's talk. Visit instrumentalproducts.com to learn more. I'm in this like phase right now where I'm starting to do a lot of SEO content and stuff. But then as I was getting into that, obviously, there's going to be a lot of work for gathering traffic on the public website. But I was getting into it. I was like, well, there are all these articles that I want to send to our existing customers to help them get activated and to help overcome the objections that would cause them to have trouble with the product. And it's like, these are blog article ideas, but not necessarily for search engines. I just want to have them to send to existing customers beyond like the typical onboarding sequence of emails and messages. What else are you seeing in terms of campaigns or automations or messaging that can really help improve the customer lifetime value, help customers get more value from the product? It's a very meta question because it relates both to UseList and, and any of our customers. We do feel that there are so many opportunities on the table for successful customers that you can leverage, but nobody does <laughs> because everybody's like, okay, onboarded, well, activated, whatever. But literally, you can absolutely have a single customer loyalty campaign. You should probably start it a couple months in after they've been successfully onboarded. So they have already been successfully receiving value. And then, I don't know, every month or so, you can drip them different things to improve. You can ask and you can also give things. You can ask for referrals. You can give away promo codes or promote annual upgrades. You can send them swag. You can ask them to book a customer success call with your agent using a Calendly link or Savvy Cal link combined with email automation. A really powerful thing to initiate personal touch. Uh, like ask, invite them for a customer success call. Invite a friend. Tons of opportunities. What I just named can really like, you're just not doing it, but you could be. And each of these touch points, not necessarily, but they have like a 30% chance of sparking a nice thing, a nice thought in your customer's brain. And so that they can be more loyal to your brand and recommend it more often. And this is just like a gold mine of opportunities, which 
very few companies do, even though it's dead simple. It's really very simple. Yeah, for sure. Again, going back to the journey of the past five years with UserList, I wanted to talk about these two features that we touched on earlier that in my view, as like an outsider looking in, they, they seem to be like big turning point product features. I'm curious to know what they looked like from your perspective on the business. Like, I guess the first one that I'd like to ask about is the switch to marketing emails, right? So since the beginning, like you said, like it was starting with the customer's lifetime from when they sign up for your app going forward, but you did not offer email messaging to pre-sign up customers, so people who might come to your website. But then you changed that and offered like the full email marketing message suite, which really makes a lot of sense to me. If I'm going to use a tool, I would want to go from pre-sign up through the sign up and after. So like when you launched that ability, I think it was what, like a year or two ago? Last fall. Last fall we did. Okay. End of 2021. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, we'll have to go back in time. This is actually the latest addition to the suite. (laughs) Yeah. So tell me a little bit more about that. Like, first of all, the decision to actually start offering it. How did that come about? In December of 2020, we understood that we needed to do something that might get us closer to the product market fit. And yeah, we did have some sort of product market fit, but something that could uh, speed up our growth, make us more attractive. And we did a round of non-customer interviews with people who could be our customers, but aren't. And I talked to like 25 people over the course of a month. I sort of remember that. So how did you find people who are not your customers and to get them to talk to you? Well, I have a big Rolodex and we're also part of uh, <laughs> communities like Tiny Seed and also MicroConf and a few other like what are cooler places for founders. So I was looking for people who were, let's say, beyond couple K MRR, like serious about their SaaS, but still not doing it. So we wanted to know we didn't ask like why you aren't using UserList, but I read the mom test <laughs> and was happily, very heavily inspired by these vague questions of like what's going on in your business, where is your mind, like what do you do for your email marketing and stuff like that. And we were blown away by the variety of different setups that people have and how creative they get with their email. Some people have no marketing list. Some people have no customer email list. Some people like have a source of truth in their internal dashboard or in HubSpot. And it's just amazing. The spectrum, it's huge. You wouldn't even think. And there are even products who operate in different marketplaces where you wouldn't have an email of your customer. All you have is in-app messages because you're not entitled to have an email. Isn't it fascinating by nature that such products still exist? And by the way, WordPress ecosystem is one of them because until they convert... Yes, you don't have their email. You can just mark it inside. Yeah, it just seems like a minefield of building a product for for that. I mean, but many successful businesses do it. But you mentioned like the source of truth for looking at your customer list, your user list, if you will. Like, (laughs) (laughs) I mean, yeah, you're right. Like it's so different from one business to the next. Even mine, I feel like I have like four different sources of truth for where my customers are being managed. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, that's got to be tough. So like coming out of those interviews, it was pretty clear like, okay, yes, there's a lot of variety, but we do need to cover the ground before the sign-up and after the sign-up. Yeah, we observed the same phrase many times, a lot. And the phrase was, I want all my SaaS email in one tool. And it was obvious that we were stubborn, but of course, we shouldn't be that stubborn. And 
it's a can of worms to allow both marketing leads and customers in the same tool, but it's necessary and that's what people want. By that time, when we launched it and almost a year later, because it's a fairly big feature set to add, also was mentally scary. But by that time, we had already known that it might change our growth trajectory, but most likely it won't. A general marketing ROI and, and speed is just so inert. It's so dependent on just your name more than on any feature. By that time, like we knew it wouldn't probably move the needle as much, even though we had hoped, of course. There were a couple more features that you mentioned were milestone-ish. One of them was introducing company accounts. Yeah, the company ones. Yeah, that was great in terms of it really gave us a sales argument and more solidified our unique stance in the market but also it didn't bring people next day it's not the type of thing that can bring people next day well the company one is really interesting because it literally changed like your homepage messaging and everything i want to get into that in just a second but before we leave the switch to email marketing what did it look like when you actually started to roll it out did it make any short-term impact on the growth and were there any like new types of customers who you started to see come through the pipeline as a result of expanding into that? Like, did customers look different to you post that than before? I don't think it made any dramatic change. We have gained, so among our existing customer base, we have opened it up for several customers who were delighted, and that definitely helped with the word of mouth. The launch day was great. We had great support of the community because there is a number of people who really delighted by this and they were vocal. Like we had raving reviews and product hunt and such. It is seriously a big problem. So we planted a flag on that day, but in terms of the lead flow, maybe a little influx, but not a like life-changing trajectory. And in the same way, a year earlier, we added in-app notifications as another channel. It was That was our first feature that was really expanding our capabilities. And it also only brought in like an influx, but not a big one. And this makes us different from another email provider because you can send your messages via email or in-app notification. You can orchestrate those within campaigns to achieve the result you want. And that's on not on the table for MailChimp, for example, <laughs> and others too. So it can be a great argument for a certain type of buyer. For sure. So... Moving to the companies feature, how do you explain this feature? Like, what is it about userless that's fundamentally different from other tools around companies? We help you mirror your internal data in our tool, meaning we can combine user accounts into company accounts and show you a company profile. And you can also store data on the company level instead of having to duplicate it on each individual user. And the reason why it's life-changing is because If you deal with a team account, individual user activity doesn't make any sense. Like one user writes two articles, another handles the billing, the third one does something else. They're all three. Each one is failing. If you put them together, it finally makes sense. Like So the workaround that other founders have to deal with is to duplicate the success metrics for the account per each user. And also when you log into your tool, you see just the bulk of users, you have no idea how many customers that is, even on that level. So this structure of users, combining users into company accounts, it's pretty magical for a good deal of B2B SaaS because many SaaS serve teams, like almost all SaaS serve teams. I could imagine like also with the messaging, right? That 
every individual team member might receive at any time in the when i think about like what i'm currently doing with zip message we have teams but all of my marketing focus and messaging focus is on the account owner right like the one person who initially created the account and like the one person who controls the billing that's basically the person that i'm sending all of our onboarding emails to and other outreach and stuff like that and then if they invite team members i don't even know if <laughs> if those team members are even receiving <laughs> any meaningful messaging about what's going on and there is no use. no way you can extrapolate this person's behavior onto another team member send them something if something happens right so it's in terms of automation in user list you can send you can see when something happens on the company level and then you decide who's receiving information based on that it's very simple in the ui but it's very empowering yeah again it's like one of those fundamental infrastructure and architecture changes or things that you guys were able to implement that these other much more established competitors it would be a complete rebuild of their whole platform to go in this sort of direction right like i think it's one of those like technical product competitive advantages that smaller startups can have against these bigger players is to fundamentally architect the product in a certain way to then enable a major feature like this i need to mention that e-commerce is booming so every email automation tool out there that is just generalist their majority of the user base people who truly see the roi on email marketing it's a lot of e-commerce and for e-commerce these company accounts do not matter as much at all and uh, saas it seems like a large market but in fact can you compare the number of consumers in the us versus the number of saas companies in the us i'm pretty sure it's not even close and so you were able to get to not only launch that feature but it from what i saw again from the outside looking in it it really sort of fundamentally changed your positioning right like you actually went forward with a homepage copy change and everything around this company feature can you speak about that a little bit actually we have been promoting on the homepage but we've changed the entire phrasing just lately and it was also not obvious how to do that because when you say company accounts or account level marketing or anything like that it's just too generic and without context it can actually yeah it might give you like the wrong impression of what the tool is yeah it might drive off the good users because they would be like oh we don't have any accounts like well, this is not for us and we did uh, like a twitter test of our sales page copy and everybody on twitter was like what is it i'm your customer is it for me even We're, that is not the impression we want to make and thanks to Derek Reimer he suggested this angle this is a saas email platform that actually understands my customer data that was a great phrasing because customer data can or may or may not include companies but in any case we do really very very well reflect your customer data and it doesn't drive off and repel good leads for us so right now and for the next few months or maybe a couple quarters our marketing angle is very strongly hammering uh onboarding companies versus onboarding users and customer data and such and we've partnered up with Arpit of Data Led Academy to do more content on this more expert content and he's also quite excited about this company feature when you know this customer data field it's so huge and we're not even remotely experts in it which is another challenge like we know our little corner of it but there's so much more to learn yeah for sure 
you're so right that like email marketing, all the action does seem to be with the e-commerce folks. And like as a user, I'm a SaaS user, right? So it's like that always frustrates me. It's like I don't care about the stuff that an e-commerce retailer would care about when it comes to email marketing. I just want to offer a good user experience for my customers on my SaaS, right? You would think that just simply differentiating like the weird email platform for SaaS, we would provide ourselves with sales, easy sales. But no, it's not enough. Uh, just this drive, this motivation to migrate tools, it's got to be so big to overcome this friction. We've been struggling with that. When it comes to SaaS tools, this is going to be a complete overgeneralization, right? But I feel like there's like two sides of the equation. One is big complex. So that means harder to onboard, harder to get new leads to decide it's time to switch, but stickier, more essential, longer lifetime, probably more expansion revenue built into that. And then there's the other one, which might be higher volume on the signups and conversions, but it's a tool that they could take it or leave it. And I've seen the challenge on both ends with like, when I was working on process kit, I had the harder time of like onboarding and getting people to switch. And with zip message, it's the opposite. It's like some people are using it a lot and then others use it just sparingly. I think to mention Derek Reimer again, I think he struck the balance really well with with Savikel because it's simple enough to get started. It's no rocket science for sure, but you incorporate your links in your email automation and everywhere. So it's not a super trivial task to turn it off. Yeah. So I think he like he got it right. <laughs> yeah, and also what I'm seeing, getting back to how you guys sort of decided to get into user list and how you were saying it is an established market. It's not like an open question of like, is this a problem that nobody has? Like, no, of course it's a problem that lots of people have, right? Like there's no question. In terms of validation, it's really just a question of can we grow this thing, right? And you guys have been growing. I feel like that's also the case with our community of SaaS companies like the folks who are going to microconf and in this community now, it's not so much about identifying completely new ideas or untapped products. It's more about like entering established, like because every category has competitors now. It's a question of like coming in with something a little bit different for some segment of the market, right? Yeah. And with my first productivity tool product, I made this mistake. I thought, oh, there's no, there's no tool like that. I should make one. Well, congratulations, Jane. <laughs> like, been there. It didn't go anywhere. It was uh, completely hard to market, like entirely. Yeah, for sure. Well, Jane, it's always great to catch up with you. Of course, user list is the link, and we're gonna get it all linked up in the show notes. So, yeah, thank you for sharing this journey, and we'll have to do this again and get an update in the next few months. Appreciate that. Thank you, Brent. And I'd love to mention we do have a podcast of our own called Better Done Than Perfect. And you can see I have a tattoo, which says BDTP right there. Oh, is that what that says? Oh, cool. Yep. It's a reminder. Better done. Is- when did you get that? The tattoo? A couple years ago. Oh, wow. Same time the podcast started. Because oh, like literally, <laughs> both me and Benedict are perfectionists. And we want to ship more than we hold off to it. So. Right. Well, I'm going to have to go get like an open threads tattoo now. So. No. Uh, we should get you a shirt. Uh, we should get you a shirt. Yeah, head over to userless.com slash podcast. We have great show notes and great folks out there. Yeah, yeah, for sure. All right, well, thank you, Jane. Thanks so much, Brian. That does it for today's episode of Open Threads. What'd you think? Let me know on Twitter or X. I'm at CastJam. 
And you can find the full videos for all episodes of Open Threads on the YouTube channel for this podcast. That's youtube.com slash open threads. One more thing. I'd really appreciate if you'd give this podcast a five-star review on iTunes. That helps a lot. Thanks for listening. I'll see you on the next one.